AWRI Decanted, a podcast from the Australian Wine Research Institute. Here, grape and wine scientists reveal their latest discoveries and meet the producers who are applying the research in their businesses. Carbon. It's the glue that holds soil together and sequestering it in a vineyard brings a whole range of benefits to the vines. G'day, I'm Drew Radford and that's the view of Tim Carvanaro. Tim is a professor in soil ecology in the School of Agriculture, Food and Wine at the University of Adelaide. He's also Deputy Head of School Research. To discuss the benefits of carbon sequestration in a vineyard, Tim joins us for this decanted podcast. Thanks for your time. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. Tim, before we get to carbon sequestration... I understand you're pretty keen about your cycling and that somehow this has led you to finding a dirt cheap bottle of Grange on the other side of the planet. How did that happen? So early in my career, I was a research scientist based at the University of California, Davis, which is a, a major wine education and research institution. And it, it also has, I believe, the distinction of having the highest density of bicycles in North America as well. It's a small college town. It's full of lots of students for much of the year and it's flat. And, and in fact, the biggest hill in town is the bridge over the freeway. And so everybody gets around on their bicycle. And on one occasion I was riding out my bike and I stopped off in a shop and I happened to walk past and I, I not, noticed a bottle of um, Grange on the shelf. And, you know, being a, a keen wine enthusiast and a, a, an Australian, I, I had a look at it and I noticed the price ticket was about half of what it should have been. And it was simply because of some funny things going on with the Australian and US currency rates at the time, led to a very, very cheap bottle of Grange Hermitage, which to this day is um, still in my, my cellar at home. So 20 years later. That's not a bad way to pick up a cheap bottle of Grange. Not exactly where you expect to pick one up, though. No, I I asked them if they had more out the back, but they said no. (laughs) (laughs) And while you're spending your time in California, I assume you're studying soil? Uh, Yes. At that stage, I was looking at the transition from conventional farming systems to organic farming systems. And so as farmers make that transition from using conventional inputs, they need to change the whole way in which they manage the nutrients and resources in their system. And so that work involved looking at how nutrient cycling takes place in organically managed soils. And a big part of that is looking at the life and the biology in the soil. Tim, it seems like you've devoted your search life to soil across a lot of different areas. What drew you to working with soil in the first place? So, yeah, I've, I've had a long interest in soils. I studied agricultural science as a university student, and then I, I went on and did a PhD looking at plant nutrition and plant physiology. And it, it became apparent to me that if we really want to understand how a plant is behaving and how they're growing, we really need to start at the base. And that base really begins in the soil. That's the, the basis of life for plant growth. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is the more and more I study soil, the more and more I realise how complex it is. You can make the argument that soil's the most complex material on the planet. 
because within this one material, you've got the solid phase, the soil particles, you've got the gas phase, that's the spaces between the particles, you've got the liquid phase, which is the solution moving around in the soil, and all of that complexity in the physical environment creates all these different ecological niches, and that leads to what's the largest level of biodiversity in the terrestrial component of the planet. Tim, a great description of soil there. Soil carbon and carbon sequestration are buzzwords we're hearing more about lately. Can you just explain those in simple terms if people are unfamiliar with what they exactly mean? Absolutely. So carbon is a a basic building block of life on this planet. It's an element. And the, the key about carbon is that it's found in lots of different types of molecules. So a lot of biological molecules contain carbon. When we think about carbon, it can fall into two different components. There's the organic carbon, which is derived from living organisms. So plants capture carbon dioxide from the atmosphere through photosynthesis. They put it into their compounds and their tissues and those residues make their way into the soil. And so that's the organic carbon. There's also what we call inorganic carbon. So that might be limestone. So if you think of wine growing regions in Australia, such as the Coonawarra or the Limestone Coast, there's limestone or inorganic carbon in those soils as well. When we talk about carbon, there's the organic carbon and the inorganic carbon. When people are talking about carbon sequestration, they're primarily focused on increasing or sequestering or building up the amount of organic carbon within their soil. That's a great differentiation. And we often think about, well, pulling carbon out of the atmosphere to deal with climate change. But the carbon sequestration side of it, are there benefits to grapevines if you increase the amount of carbon in the soil? Absolutely. So sequestering carbon is one of the the benefits of increasing the amount of carbon in your soil from a climate perspective. But I always make the argument that increasing the carbon in your soil comes with a whole host of other benefits that are valuable as well. So carbon is really the glue that holds the soil particles together. And so with that glue, it helps stick them together and it forms that structure of the soil. And as the structure of the soil improves, the ability for water to infiltrate into the soil, for that water to be retained within the soil profile is improved. So one of the principal benefits of increasing carbon in your soil is improving the structure and improving the the water relations within the soil. Another benefit is carbon is really the food for the the organisms that live in the soil, all the life in the soil that provides nutrient cycling services and ecosystem services. So it's also got a benefit at that level as well. So while there's a lot of talk and focus on sequestering carbon in soils as a way of mitigating climate change, I would also argue very strongly that building up carbon in your soil, there's a whole host of other reasons to do it just beyond climate mitigation. You've explained that very, very well. Does that have flow-ons then in terms of yield? That's a very interesting question, and it's, it's usually the first question we get asked by people when we're talking about these kinds of activities. So the work that we've been doing that was um, funded by Wine Australia has been looking at different ways of managing the vineyard floor, particularly underneath the vines and growing cover crops, or um, we've also done some work adding mulch and um, composts as well, as opposed to having bare 
strips of earth beneath the vines. And so what we found in that work is there haven't been any adverse impacts on uh, the yields or the quality parameters of those berries where we've undertaken these activities, for example, to grow cover crops under the vines. And in fact, in some instances, what we've found is things like having a nitrogen fixing, a, a legume crop underneath or cover crop beneath the vines can increase the amount of nitrogen in the soil. And some of that nitrogen is showing up in the berries as well. So there are certainly impacts on the plant, but we haven't found a reduction in yield. One thing that we have found in, in some of these studies is that it actually might alter the time it takes for the berries to mature. And so it might be one way of potentially reducing vintage compression. So you're saying there is some evidence that it does have a positive impact on vine health and fruit quality? In some of our studies, we found that there wasn't an adverse impact in terms of the yield or the quality of the berries. And in some parameters, we saw an improvement, for example, in, in the nitrogen. What are some steps then that growers can take if they want to increase their carbon storage? I think the opportunities to increase the carbon in soils in vineyards is principally around the way that you manage the vineyard floor. And the, the way I answer a question like this is if we look at nature, nature knows what to do, right? For the last 400 million years or so, plants have been growing on land. They've been photosynthesizing, capturing carbon and putting it into soil. Plants are really good at capturing carbon. So increasing plant cover in vineyards is one way to do that. If we look at the other side of the equation, one of the quickest ways to reduce carbon in soil is to take that soil, remove the vegetation and then break it open and cultivate that soil. It exposes that carbon in the soil and it can be lost through oxidation. And so my suggestion is maximising plant cover and minimising physical soil disturbance is how you would increase the amount of carbon going into your soil. What about other plantings around the vineyard? If we start to then look out at the landscape, having plantings of vegetation around the vineyards also provides a, a number of advantages. One is obviously you're getting amenity value. You have the trees there and the vegetation and that looks nice, but you're also sequestering carbon in the biomass of those trees and into the soil, but it can also provide habitat for, for beneficial organisms as well. You said there are other pragmatic issues to consider in regards to managing the vineyard. What are some of those? As a soil ecologist, I spend most of my time looking below ground, but in talking to managers, concerns around plants growing up into uh, the canopy of the vine would be a concern and so when we talk about selecting cover crops for vineyard floors we need to think about the traits that we want in those plants and you know things like they're self-regenerating and they have a fairly low stature so they're not getting into the canopy at the wrong time of year are considerations that I would take into account. Could it be viable for grape growers to diversify and farm carbon and potentially trade on the carbon market as well as you know core business producing grapes? That's a very interesting question and it's one that we get asked quite frequently. So to be clear, what, what I can do is I can speak about the experience that we've had in the field sites that we've had and obviously everybody's individual situation will differ. So they, you know, they need to seek advice and make those decisions themselves. The kinds of factors that I would take into consideration is if you sequester carbon, you have the potential to sell a carbon credit but the important fact here is you can only count that credit once. So if you sell that credit to someone else, you can't then use it to offset your own activities. So there's a decision there about how you want to use those carbon credits. Another thing that I think we're seeing increasingly is consumers are demanding 
carbon neutral products and wine is a, a luxury product. And so I think people will potentially pay a premium for a carbon neutral product. And so if you're supplying into that supply chain, then you need to look at the entire neutrality of the carbon neutrality along that supply chain. It is a very complex and a, I think an individual decision that people have to make. But the, the simple message is there's potential to sequester carbon in your vineyard soils. And then there are a number of options with what you do with that carbon credit. The other point I'd make is the activities that you undertake to build the carbon in your soil, if they improve your water infiltration or the biological diversity in your system, those are also benefits that you might want to take into consideration as well. Tim, you touched on earlier, you know, future research. So where is your research going next? So we've got our field trials that we're continuing to do that work. We've recently expanded out into another region. So a lot of what we're talking about is quite context specific. So what works in one region may or may not work in another. So it's important to really ground truth this research in other areas. We've started to do a little bit of work looking at some of the beneficial insects and things like that that are residing in some of the um, undivine cover crops that we've been working with. We're also starting to look at other perennial systems, so potentially looking at orchard-based systems as well. What about biochar? So biochar, it's essentially where someone's taken woody biomass and then they've effectively burnt it under very low oxygen conditions and it produces a charcoal type material. There's been a lot of research done on biochar and adding it to soils. And one of the benefits that people have, have associated with adding biochar is that it provides habitat for microbes in the soil. Um, it might have impacts on nutrients in the soil, as well as adding this, the, the carbon itself to the soil. My impression of the literature around biochar is the results are quite variable and quite context specific. So what I always say to people is if they want to use biochar or really any sort of soil amendment is to try it on a small scale, see if it works. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, well, then you've, you've answered your own question. If the argument for making biochar is that it puts carbon into a more stable form and it sequesters it, if you then put that biochar in a truck and you drive it halfway across the country and use a lot of energy and fuel in doing so, you can actually negate that benefit. So I think the, the model that I think would work best is to produce the biochar as close as possible to where it's going to be applied to the soil. Dr. Tim Carvanaro, you work in a fascinating space, very much needed space in terms of better utilising the resources that we do have. Thank you for sharing your insights with us on this Decanted podcast. Thank you. It's my, my pleasure and thank you for the opportunity. The AWRI Decanted podcast is supported by Australia's grape growers and winemakers through their investment agency, Wine Australia, with matching funds from the Australian Government.